Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome back to a, another episode of Water Cooler Talk. I hope each and every single one of you are staying safe and sane as we continue to weather our collective storm. In today's episode, we are joined by a new friend of the podcast, Empress. Empress is a singer-songwriter with releases such as the recent single All In My Head and other singles We Own This Crown and Lovely I Am. She is also a former ballerina with the San Francisco Ballet and a Broadway actress who appeared in An American in Paris. Uh, at the moment, she is currently working on finishing her first EP. Um, it was a wonderful conversation. As always, I feel incredibly lucky to do what I do and have these types of conversations. You know, to be able to walk away after recording and have that sense of, we freaking nailed the human concept of conversation, it is beyond an energizing and really soulful recharge. A good reminder in times where that's very very much needed. So I hope after listening to our conversation, you're able to walk away and share in those feelings of being recharged as well and being the empress emperor of your own life. In this episode, we discuss the importance of stage names for artists, professional musicians asking for tips through Spotify's new tip chart function, and how TikTok, that's right, TikTok, is creating the future standards of beauty by censoring poor and ugly users on their platform. That's a story you have to listen to. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 39 titled 10,000 Tendus with Empress. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. All right, Empress, are you ready to jump into our first news story of the day? I am ready, Adam. Thank you. All right, this is from the CompleteMusicUpdate.com. Tony Hadley doesn't know how to pronounce his own name in this radio station. Earlier in the year, Muhammad Shalahan had entered Singaporean radio station's gold 905 celebrity name drop competition. The competition required listeners to identify the voices of 14 different celebrities saying one word of the phrase... Gold 905, the station that sounds good and makes you feel good. A tricky task that requires the competitor to digest other listeners' guesses and try to work out which ones they got right or wrong. Given the high-level difficulty involved at the competition, Muhammad wasn't too surprised when his guesses of Tony Hadley, Madonna, Maggie Wheeler, Ellen DeGeneres, Jim Carrey, George Clooney, David Bowie, Belinda Carlisle, Julia Andrews, Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Meryl Streep, Michael Buble, and Rebecca Lim were told were incorrect. However, he was surprised when a few weeks later, another competitor used the same exact list as Muhammad's and won the prize money. During the controversy, Gold905 stated that Muhammad had mispronounced the man with the dramatic warble himself, Tony Hadley. One of the rules of the game, according to the radio station, was the correct pronunciation of every celebrity's name on the list. And from here, a he said, radio station said, debate ensued. In a moment of desperation, Muhammad attempted to reach out to Tony Hadley, and after working through his manager, Tony Hadley formally entered the debate on the side of Muhammad. He stated, Now I've listened back to the tape and as far as I'm concerned, you pronounced my name absolutely correctly. Tony Hadley, you might have said Hadley, it's slight accent, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, you, you, you said my name correctly. But Gold905 had other ideas. On their Facebook page, the station posted, in the case of Mr. Shalahan's entry on the 21st of April, his pronunciation of Hadley did not meet the criteria as stipulated in the rules of the contest. As a result, his entry was judged as not having all the correct answers. This rule was applied consistently across all the entries, 
We would like to assure listeners that all entries have been reviewed fairly and objectively by our judges and our decision remains final. However, the station does add, we value all of our listeners, but once in a while, the kind of passion that Mr. Shallahan showed us made us realize how much connection we have with our listeners. So while a decision remains final, and this would not be something we normally do, as a gesture of goodwill, we have reached out to Mr. Shallahan with a token of appreciation for his exceptional commitment to the contest and loyal support for Gold 905. So there has been an update to the story, Empress, in the end, uh, and a lot more support from Tony Hadley than I think he was uh, expecting. Hi, this is Tony Hadley here. Now, I'd like to say a massive thank you to everybody at Gold 905 in Singapore, and thank you for acknowledging that Mohammed Shellahan's answers were correct. He's absolutely over the moon, so thank you very, very much. The radio station decided to give Muhammad the entirety of the $10,000 Singaporean dollar prize, which is about $7,000 US. So Empress, in our episode with Cecil Harris, we talked about branding specifically for athletes, especially in our digital age. What is the importance of branding for musical artists? Oh my God, it's everything. It's the... The moment that you hear the name, let's say Madonna, immediately everyone has their own idea. They have the memory of when they heard, like, heard her song for the first time. They know what she's about. They, there's no explanation when you say Beyonce. You don't need an explanation, right? <laughs> that that's a brand, right? When when everybody has their own interpretation, but everyone kind of is similar in understanding who that artist is. So that's kind of, that's everything. When you hear um, a name of a group, Backstreet Boys, everyone has their favorite Backstreet Boys, but you know what the Backstreet Boys mm-hmm. are and were and what era they're from. And, you know, it's 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 an interesting um, thing to actually have a really great brand. And that's that's the name, you know? The name is, it sums it up, the entire brand. Well, as someone, like, I've literally worked in the music industry as a creative director. I've been responsible for, like, branding multiple projects, multiple artists. It's huge. It's, it's all it is. Yeah, I think it's important to remember when you think of people like Beyonce, Madonna, there are a ton of very, very, very talented people in the world. And a lot of them, unfortunately, don't make it. So I give you all the props for being able to find success in this industry. But a lot of people just don't make it. And a lot of it comes down to branding. Yeah, totally. You know, I have to say, going back um, a couple years ago, before Empress kind of happened, it was it was interesting because I, I knew I wanted a, a stage name because I love the rituals that you like put on a costume, you become a character. And then after the show, after the curtain closes or whatever, you leave the stage, you can turn it off and be normal again. So you have like a a very um, normal life and then you can turn it on, you can be the character and then you can, you know, just return to a balanced normal life. I think too often people have um, an alter ego that they forget who they are, you know, as a human being, they like, they feel like they're always performing. And then when you get into that level of, and I want to say that ego, that the part of your your brain that gets super excited and turned on when you're performing and people are cheering for you and you're on stage in front of thousands of people and you go home and there's none of that, you start getting out of balance and you start craving that. And I think that's why a lot of artists turn to drugs is because they're not high, they don't get that high unless they're doing something like that when they're not on stage. So for me anyway, I knew that I needed a stage name, not because I was worried about getting drugs. I was just like, I just need to have a uh, (laughs) getting into drugs. I just know I need a balance, you know, and like having a family life that's separate from my performing and my career life. So then branding that I was like, okay, well, who, what, 
what do I, what do I like? Who am I? What would that mean? What did, what do I stand for? There's a lot of things that go into branding and name recognition and all of that stuff. Like what, you know, what do you want to be known for at the end of the day? And for me, I knew I liked sparkling things. I love sparkles. They are my favorite color. So I was like, okay, tiaras, sparkly costumes, all that fun stuff. I'm like, okay, so princessy, you know, obviously. Um, and then, and then it started getting into, well, I like female empowerment. I like empowering people to be the ruler over their own life. Okay. So now we're thinking like royalty and then we've already got someone like, you know, Lady Gaga out there. So, um, and Lord, and you know, like, so I was like, okay, well, there's not much left of the royalty names, you know. And then I discovered Empress, and I thought, huh, that's really fascinating. It's a really big name, it's a lot to chew. And then I, d- I found out that nobody had actually trademarked the name Empress as a performing artist. No one had, I was like, is there an Empress out there? There's a few people that have tried and epic fails. And, um, and I call my music attorney, tell him, you know, what I was thinking he goes, I hate it. I was like, great. I wanted a strong reaction. Um, you know, if it's a strong reaction, then, uh, you know, it'll be memorable. So I didn't let that stop me. I kind of asked him like why he thought it was horrible. And he goes, well, nobody, you know, like, like, why would you ever put yourself out there like that? And I said, well, I'm not trying to rule over other people. I'm trying to remind people that they are the ruler over their own life. So I am just empress over my life, over my world and inspiring others to do that. And then he kind of started changing. I said, why do you think nobody's ever taken this name? He goes, no one has the balls to call themselves Empress. And I thought, well, that is a reason to take the name. So we finally got it patented and trademarked and all that registered and all that fun stuff. So I legally own the the stage name now, which is kind of symbolic for me because now I own my own name. And, and I think that's something that a lot of artists don't think about either is that, you know, you got to protect yourself when you start building a brand, you have to make sure that someone else can't just swoop in, take the name and have it all legally trademarked. So like when you are trademarking your name, it's something that Prince learned the hard way calling himself Prince. Well, I'm sorry. There's a lot of princes in the world who were upset about that. And then it was formally known as Prince with the like symbol thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And then he ended up learning his lesson and he has a color that's trademarked for Prince. It's the purple shade. It's the shade of color like that he had um, registered and trademarked and all that fun stuff. But now just like you know, going back to the beginning of this whole thing, deciding what the brand stands for. I think if you don't have a powerful direction or something that speaks to people on a really deep level, then you you are not building your brand on a structure that will stand withstand the, you know, the test of time. I think the thing is like, yeah, you really have to establish first why the why yeah and i think that's so important because and then the legal aspect i'm glad you kind of brought back in the legal aspect because you can make a good show you know i don't know if you've been in the news about the call me daddy podcast situation but you know they pretty much lost their show and now these you know the two hosts are realizing well i'm nothing without that name brand it's the brand that made you like i've been able to find through doing water cooler talk is technically this show, once the show becomes bigger than me, Adam Schultz, that's when you kind of start being like, all right, I need to get the legal IP of this and I need to own everything around this because someone could just come in and swoop it and take that. Right. And then all this work you've spent trying to build this brand is just gone. And that's interesting. Um, I'm, of course, I'm married to an attorney. So this stuff always is in the back of his mind and he sort of plants (laughs) seeds and then it's in my mind. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
But I guess what we were thinking when I first started out as Empress was like, all right, we're going to plan to succeed. So, you know, like we are going to pretend like this brand has become bigger than my personal name and my personal identity. And we're going to start working on the the trademark. It took two years, by the way, to get the full... It It takes a long time. It takes a long time. And... The patent attorney that I was using, actually, he was like, there's no way you are going to get Empress. Like, there's no way. You will not get that. That's not a thing. Don't even try. And dun, dun, dun. I got it. You know, he was (laughs) shocked. He was like, what? This is crazy. So, and, and it's hard to find a name. And, you know, it's hard to find a name that hasn't been used. And sometimes that takes a really long time. I think it took me like six months to kind of really... Be like, you know, Empress is the best option I can come up with. That's a, it's a big tiara to fill, you know, if you will. <laughs> but you know, it was it was a six month decision making process, and then it was two years from then before I actually, you know, owned it, which is recently. I like the fact that you kind of distinguish between like I needed the stage name to kind of separate my business and personal life because I think that's so important, especially for your mental health. Yeah. Because yeah, sure, you can go out there and you can go as my name, Adam Schultz, and I can be Adam Schultz, the singer. But like you said, you can never turn that off. You don't have that escape. Lady Gaga can perform as Lady Gaga, but she can go back and uh, live as Stephanie, I don't know her last Stephanie name. Stephanie Germanata, yeah, totally. So she has that distinction. Obviously, she's famous enough to where people are going to recognize her in the streets. Right. But she can still kind of disappear back into normal life a bit and have some mental reprieve from the stresses of being a public figure. Yeah, it's it's um it's a lot of pressure and I think I think the coolest part for me is I had a background in the performing arts you know, I started dancing when I was really little and then I became a professional ballerina and then I went to Broadway and both of those careers are are really interesting because you're becoming a character. So it, that is essentially what I grew up doing was you put on a costume, you become Giselle or, you know, you're the swan in Swan Lake or whatever. And then you take the tutu off at night and you go home and nobody recognizes you because you've been, you know, you're like, on this giant stage and you have a ton of makeup on and you take it off. It's this ritual. You have to prepare for it. It makes you stay really professional because you have a respect for the art form. And I think a lot of times there's lack of professionality, if that's even a word, in the in the music world because of the fact that that it's not a performance for them. It's just, you know, they're just playing music on stage. And that's really cool because it's very casual. But for me, if I was going to be in the music industry, it was going to be like, all right, when I'm doing it, I'm 110% in and, you know, it'll be a performance and mm-hmm. people will be entertained and I will be, you know, comp- you know, I think people get really kind of casual with their diet and their alcohol intake before performances or drugs or whatever. And I just don't think that that's professional. It wouldn't last in the ballet or Broadway world. You cannot actually physically perform at the level that you need to if you are on any kind of drugs or, I mean, you clearly cannot drink. So there's, there's a level of just like respect that goes into the art form 
that I really wanted to make sure that I kind of kept within this new profession of, of singing and songwriting and, and performing that way. On your website, you had the quote, I want to empower people to be their own empress or emperor, ruler of their personal world. That's why I call myself empress, kind of what you're talking about, because I'm empowering myself to rule my own life. Can you speak a little more to that quote, the importance of empowering yourself and, you know, kind of, yeah, continuing the importance of your name? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thanks. Yeah, that quote came from me feeling like for the first time in my entire artistic career that I was in the driver's seat of my life. Or I guess here's a better example. I was not only being the canvas for somebody, for another artist to paint on and use. And, you know, like there's something so cool about being the painter, the canvas and the paint and kind of being in control of all of that. And as an artist, that was the first time that I really felt empowered. You know, there's something really fun about working with amazing choreographers and getting costumes designed by the top people and having the best lighting design and you know, set design and being around all these incredible artists, but it's not yours. And you are just, a, you know, a piece of, of this bigger masterpiece, I guess. Um, and so I think what, what was interesting for me as, as becoming Empress was really feeling like I owned and was creating my entire empire of, you know, like when I say empire, it's like everything was in one place rather than like when I was performing on Broadway, I was a known as the like the prima ballerina on Broadway, but I couldn't just be a Broadway actress, right? I was doing the lead role in a Broadway show and acting and taking acting lessons and singing my brains out. And I was still known as this prima ballerina. And then I went back to the ballet for a time and they called me this Broadway star. And I was like, why can't I just be a ballerina when I'm a ballerina and a Broadway actress when I'm on Broadway, you know, a singer songwriter when I want to be. And why can't I do it all in one place? Empress and creating my, you know, quote, empire was actually just putting all of those labels aside and just kind of putting it in one place, calling it Empress, building this world where it's all, you know, okay to do everything in one place and not be just stuck with the label of something else always. And that was so empowering. And so for me, anyway, I wanted that was such a great feeling. And I thought, gosh, you know, I wish that I had felt like that a long time ago. Why couldn't I have felt this way and been empowered like this when I was the canvas or when I was the paint or when I was the painter? Why can't it just be all the time, you know, be the ruler over my own life? Because really, I always had the control and the decisions were all mine to be made throughout my entire life. But until now, I haven't really felt that way. And I wanted to inspire other people to kind of take ownership of their own life in the now rather than like, okay, someday I'll figure it out. And so in all of my lyrics, all the songs that I write, I try to at least have a um, the underlying, you know, layer is empowerment. I think that's a very good point. I think kind of speaking to people are generally afraid of successful people. People that follow their dreams are very passionate. So they try to like put labels on them to have some control over this fear. And that's, yeah, I definitely get that because they're like, well, he's doing, she's doing a lot more than I ever could with my life. So I need some way to feel more comfortable with their success. It's the crab syndrome. When you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one tries to climb mm, yes. out, they all climb, <laughs> they pull each other down. I know it's so interesting because that was never in my, I mean, it wasn't in my childhood at all. 
but it wasn't part of my DNA to be upset when somebody else was succeeding. And I think the longer I was in San Francisco Ballet for 11 years, which is a long time as ballerina because it relies purely on your body and and longevity. And so Mm -hmm. I think seeing a lot of generations of girls come in and out and they, there were guys as well, of course, but I, you know, in my world, the girls, um, that would cycle, they'd come in, they'd get these great parts. If you got really jealous of that, it was interesting. If you got jealous, it kind of, your body reflects how you're thinking constantly. So so these dancers who were constantly like backstabbing and jealous and wanting a bigger, better part, it was stressful on their bodies and they didn't last as long. And then those girls that come in like a, you know, the, the, um, what is it? The hair, not the tortoise, but the hair there, they also had a short lived career because it wasn't like thinking, okay, you know, longevity, right? So they'd come in, they'd do something really crazy and they'd get injured. And then here I am like chill the entire time, <laughs> just like, oh, now I, I was third or fourth cast for ballet sometimes. And I wouldn't be worried at all. I mean, there were times where I was annoyed that I was fourth or fifth cast or something, you know, because I was like, there's no chance in hell that I'm getting on stage unless four or five people get injured, you know, and like that. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you're just sitting there. But then I would get, I would be the last one standing sometimes out of four or five girls and I would have to do all the performances. You know, here they were stressing out and backstabbing and doing all this stuff and hurting their bodies and you know, doing these things. And I was just like, all right, you know, I'll let them do their thing. And I always ended up getting the part eventually, whether it was that year or the following year or in the middle of the season, sometimes the girls would just start dropping like flies and I'd be at the last one standing because I, A, took care of my body, was very good to it. And B, I was just calm and, and excited for people's success because I knew that my time was coming as well someday. might not be right now, but it will be. And if you're just kind of just sit back and, and you're prepared for success, when you prepare mm-hmm. and you know that you're ready for, for the opportunities... They come. They just come to you. You don't have to stress or like, you know, stop breathing. Just exhale. Just chill. (laughs) And I think that's one of the most important things I've been learning throughout the past few years is just like trusting in yourself. And that's that's hard for a lot of people. I'm not going to sit here and say it's super easy. It's super hard to really trust in yourself. But as you said, when you can kind of control the whole product, you have the confidence to build up. And you know, I've been spending all this time doing this, that, this. And I know when I get my chance, I'm just going to skyrocket off. Like with this podcast, it's solo produced. I edit it. I research. I do everything for it besides the artwork who's done by the very talented Neil Coney because I know he can do it much better than me. But I know I'm creating a product and I'm seeing that growth because I believe in myself. And that is, it is a tough thing to really believe in yourself. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of failure. But, you know, as you're like talking about, be happy for other people's success because if you truly believe in your product, eventually that day is going to come. And that's that's actually um, when you kind of are happy for other people's success, it starts attracting those successful people to you. Because and and this just happened in my in my past careers, but I was always really happy for people when they had successful days, and then. It's funny, those people are attracted to you more. So you actually start getting this incredible kind of community of of whatever realm you're in. If it's a arts community, if it's in, you know, the law world or if it's, you know, your whatever. It doesn't matter what um what genre you're talking about. But if you're really happy for people, 
they start coming to you because they feel good about themselves and you feel good about them. And then they, that just, that cycle is so important and to attract really wonderful people around you. My dad used to say, you are who you hang out with, you know, who you spend your time with is who you kind of become. So you always want to be around inspiring people. You don't want to be around people who bring you down, who, you know, like don't, lift you up when you're happy or mm-hmm. come up to that level with you when you are excited or something. So it's it's wonderful when you start putting that energy out into the world. It just comes right back to you. And then it manifests so many more wonderful things, you know? Well, and then before we move on um, to speak a bit more to branding, specifically the radio play, uh, we'll definitely touch more on this in the Spotify story. But in your personal experience, How has the need to be played on the radio to feel legitimized as a music artist changed with the introduction of streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, or is that even still prevalent? Yeah, I was just having a conversation with a guy yesterday and and it was interesting what he said because he said, um, you know, things like Spotify, Apple, um, all of those big, big companies, he goes, they're their own planet now. It's like they're they're completely separate from like radio or something. And it's and it, again, it's like being in the same galaxy, but they're just totally they've become their own planets, right? Mm-hmm. They're still all connected and they revolve around the same thing. It's arts, you know, singing, music, all the things, but they become their own things. And um and those things are hard to I guess legitimize now because now you can you can buy streams you can buy likes you can buy all of these these things so it it might be you know a gas planet that doesn't actually exist you know it's yeah. like you you could be this artist he said he had an artist that's that has like 700 million streams on a song and it doesn't mean anything to a record label because if you're not on the radio which is a human being playing a song you know a lot of money gets exchanged there's a lot of things that happen behind closed doors it's the wizard of oz syndrome you know behind that screen a lot of like <laughs> things are happening but nowadays it's it's interesting because nobody knows who to trust and it's still prevalent today is like social media and your following turned into this currency of like, whoa, okay, wait, this is someone that has this following and they're like hardcore. And if we put a product in front of the person that they're following, maybe they'll buy the product. And so it became this like global influencer market. And then that got diluted. And then now we don't know who to trust. And this whole, you know, it's it's just the waves of social media and these platforms and stuff. I'm new in the music industry. So this is all kind of I'm reading a lot about it. I'm learning as much as I can. And it's still so vague. It's just, (laughs) you know, there is not one person that's given me the like key to the universe and like, oh, no, this is how it works. And that's it. Done. You know, and you're like, okay, great. Because someone will tell you that that's their key to the universe. But then there's a thousand more keys. You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, what? Which one do I use? Well, yeah, I remember when I first started working in the music industry, like everyone wanted to be on radio. And it was like the goal to get your client on radio. And then like I was only in there for three years. But in those three years, I saw that shift because it was like, oh, now it's all about the online following and your engagement. It's not even about, you know, you could have a million followers, but if you only have 100 likes on your post, a a label or someone is not interested in that because it's all about the engagement. So now, like you said, you know, your followers become this currency. Yeah. And you can buy that currency. And it's just, it's like, I think you said it perfectly, like there's no key to the universe. Everyone has their own key to the universe. 
but there's no, even in the research I was doing, I was like, well, this works and this works, but these contradict themselves. So what actually works? Yeah. And then it's different for every artist and everyone will, will, um, that I've spoken to will give you one example and they'll be like, well, this worked for this person. You know, this guy, um, little Nas paid $80 for, for this single that turned into this, you know, his whole career or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then there's like, okay, but it takes Rihanna a million dollars to produce something where no matter which way you turn your head, she's there singing that song. There's so many versions of success out there. And I don't think it's, it's, as helpful to have so many options anymore. Cause it's like, what is, you know, it becomes, <laughs> everything becomes diluted. You don't know who to trust. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because really it goes back to owning your, like being the ruler over your, your own life because everyone's going to have their own path. And if you try and follow something that worked for someone else, it, it might backfire on you because that you're not that person. Um, and so I think finding your own path, it's, it's scary. You're like swimming in a big sea full of a bunch of sharks that are like just, you know, circling you constantly. So mm-hmm. for me anyway, I have an attorney husband, so he keeps me safe that way, but legally at least, but we've been taken <laughs> advantage of a few times where it's, it's like we've overpaid for things or we trusted someone and then you know, we found out they weren't really that trustworthy. And, you know, it's frustrating, I guess, for me as coming from the ballet world, because you can't fake anything. There's no faking it. Your talent is the only thing that speaks. And you have to constantly prove your talent. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, you had a good day one day and then your whole career was handed to you on a silver silver platter. It's like Mm -hmm. you really have to perform really high levels of performing anyway, um, consistently, every single performance is like an audition, basically. You know, if you have one bad night, it's like you're taken out the next day. So, um, unless everybody else is injured, which, you know, (laughs) (laughs) don't want to happen. Yeah. Well, even like in the podcast industry, it's so new and so fresh. I mean, it's been around for 20 years, but now it's finally got its popularity. I've had instances, like you said, where people try to take advantage of the show. Like, I'll stroke my ego a bit. This is a semi-successful podcast. You know, people across the world listen to it. You prepare for your podcast and you're really, well, it's a thoughtful podcast. Yeah. Which I appreciate, by the way. uh, Thank you. But yeah, it's about, you know, putting the time, building that brand. And it's always my favorite quote by Bo Burnham. He said, success in famous people, they just got lucky. You know, like I said at the beginning, they're There's so many talented, specifically for music, so many talented musicians. There's so many talented podcasts. I've heard so many good podcasts, but it's just all about getting lucky, being at the right time, being at the right time, at the right place. Like you talked about Little Nas, like just being there. Knowing the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Just knowing the right people, having the right connections. So it's, I think it's important to really have a solidified brand that you feel empowers you. Yeah. No, that's well said. I have nothing on that. That was perfect. I would like to welcome to the show Empress. Empress is a singer-songwriter with releases such as the recent single, All In My Head, and other singles, We Own This Crown and Lovely I Am. She is also a former ballerina with the San Francisco Ballet and a Broadway actress who appeared in An American in Paris. And she is currently working on her first EP with Grammy-nominated producer Bart Chaudel. Empress, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, You talked about in previous interviews how your love of ballet and music came about, watching watching these musicals on VHS. What about them drew you into the creative world? And what has been the impact of having this creative outlet in your life, whether that be through ballet, acting, music? Well, 
I, I guess, thank you. That's a great question. This has been the most empowering I've felt both as a woman and an artist in my entire life. So creating all of this has been, it's all, it's all me. And I think that's, that's kind of the most empowering thing is like, this is, it's all me. There's no one I can blame on if I don't succeed. I, there's no pointing outwardly. I always have to point inwardly. There's only um, finger pointing to, to myself. So for everything. So all the, the things that I've done, I'm really proud of because they're mine. It's thoughtful. It's time consuming, uh, but it's like, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like the most effortless work in the entire world. So I guess it's been inspiring, you know, myself, you know, it, does that sound stupid? <laughs> no, I was like, I agree with you a hundred percent. So just, it's been super empowering to actually own everything that I do and also being the ruler over my own life and taking control over it as well. No, I definitely like, I agree a hundred percent because I think that's what sets apart success and failure. Because I know for me, at least I'll just speak to my perspective. For me, having complete control over everything I do, yeah. I know at the end of the day, if I fail, it's on me. If I succeed, it's on me. The pressure of that really helps me go to another level. Like when my back's against the wall, yeah, my totally. game is and that's, at that's top That's really notch. a good point, actually. And I wanted to, to bring that back. You said something similar to that in the beginning is that you have to do everything. Okay, so I have an amazing team of people around me. I am so grateful. I'm always looking for more teammates. You know, like I'm, my arms are wide open for like, great people always. But no matter who your team is, if you start relying on them to do anything, it's really interesting because you give away, to me anyways, it's it's wonderful to have a team that you can trust. Mm -hmm. But but if you are not self-sufficient and you do not understand what those people are doing because you've never done it before, you you don't appreciate them enough. The team comes and goes, you know, and then you're forced to do things by yourself or, you know, find something. The more self-sufficient you can become in whatever you do, the less you need someone's approval, uh, opinions, uh, you know, help technically or whatever. The more self-sufficient you can become, the better whatever you are, you will become. It's, uh, you know, for me as a ballerina, it was like, at the end of the day, it's me on stage by myself. There's no dance teacher that's going to hold me up or, you know, put a bandaid on a, on a blister or sew my point shoes for me or teach me choreography. I, it, it was up to me. I'm the only one on stage. At the end of the day, if you are not self-sufficient, you know, you're, you're editing, you're doing all of these things. If you don't know how to do those things as an artist, you are relying on other people. And when you rely on other people, you're not, you're not the ruler over your own life anymore. Well, and that's like the tough thing. You have to find this balance between how much am I willing, how much time and energy am I willing to put into this craft? Because like for me, example, like now that the show is getting more popular and we're having to do more episodes and, you know, I really want to still spend the time researching the guests and researching the story. It's mm -hmm. like, I've been thinking about hiring an editor. Right. That has been like a huge fear for me is to give away literally the whole design of my show. Because when I edit it, I like to build these conversations into something that hopefully the listeners like to listen to. So it is, you kind of have to balance like, well, I could do more research. I could have more time with my family. I could have more, you know, off time, Right. but I'm giving up editing. So it's like, you kind of have to find that balance between what do you want to give up, but what do you want to keep control of to kind of keep that, as we talked about in that first story, kind of that strong mental health. And, and yeah, and that's actually really, um, someone told me, um, a while ago about, 
If you have a good team, if you trust your team, you don't need to micromanage. Mm -hmm. The micromanagers, I've been on sets and things like for film or even shows where the director doesn't trust anyone. And so they have to do everything <laughs> yeah. for them. Yep, and, I've been and there. And not having having faith in your team actually is your fault, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't trust your own judgment on hiring those people or bringing those people in. And it, it makes everybody insecure. It makes a work environment hell. I mean, I've worked in two shows that were the most miserable things ever because the director was not secure in himself. And if you are not coming from that place, like you, so it's, it's interesting. I went, I went full, like, you know, 180, 90 degrees, like <laughs> you'd need to, to trust people that you hire, but you also have to understand how to do all of those jobs. Otherwise you don't really appreciate them. It's like going to film school or something. They teach you not just how to be whatever you want to be, the director, let's say. You have to do the editing. You have to do the design, the set design. You have to do the costume design. You have to be the sound guy. The You try all of the things so that you understand what they have to do. So when you're directing that movie, you aren't like, why isn't that person you know, over here in one second. Cause they're like, well, I have to like pick all this stuff and bring it over here. Well, and the kind of like, to jump on your point about self-sufficient, I think it is important to be self-sufficient because then like for editing, I know exactly what I want to find in an editor because I've spent the time editing. Like when I was able right. to find Neil Coney, like I literally drew something similar to the artwork we have now. And by luck, I was able to find this guy who had a similar art style, who had a similar cartoon style, who's an amazing person that I don't have to spend all this extra time now drawing out all these photos and graphics and stuff. So I think it is important to be self-sufficient but also to when you get to that knowing what you want, knowing yeah, what you want. Yes, totally. exactly. That's that's you just nailed it on the head. Knowing what you want, period. Uh, and then you've transitioned from spending 20 plus years of your life in ballet and the dance industry. Now you're moving that energy into music. Uh, granted, you do have somewhat of a background in composing music for film. You mentioned in another interview, you've been songwriting and composing since the age of five. You have a piano behind you. <laughs> what have been the noticeable changes between ballet and the music industry, whether that be physical, emotional, spiritual? You've kind of touched on it a bit, but just in a bit more detail. Yeah, I love that. Thanks. I guess physically, it's interesting because you can't just stop dancing. I thought, okay, I just done, you know, but once a dancer, you're always a dancer. And once those hamstrings are stretched out, when they start tightening up, it just hurts, period. <laughs> so actually, that was the hardest thing for me is my body started hurting. Um, it was always tired and in pain. And as a dancer, you're, you're always, you got something going on, whether it's an ingrown toenail or torn ligament or a broken bone, like you're always, something is always bothering you and you sometimes can work through them. And sometimes you are forced to take time off, which, you know, it's a bummer, but physically you're always hurting. But this actually is an interesting thing because I'm not dancing and, and I'm having to figure out a new set of exercises to just make sure that my, you know, I have a little scoliosis, that my scoliosis stays in check. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it hurts more. Um, my hamstrings are so, they were so long that when they start tightening up, they, there's all these knots that start happening and then that hurts more. It's so crazy. So physically it's been a huge change because I'm not as tired and I'm not hurting because of, you know, whatever I'm working on, if I'm doing like 16 different ballets, that's like, you know, your body is going haywire and there's all these aches and pains, but you kind of work through it. You're constantly stretching and warming your body up and taking care of it. But now that I don't have a 12 hour day of stretching and pushing my body to the back, it's been interesting because it was just a change and a shift of like, 
okay, well, I'm not killing my body, which felt really good at first. And then it started, mm-hmm. you can't not dance, you know, once a dance, you got to find like ways to like implement it into your new career. In yeah, life. exactly. And it affects the way I write and I sing. If I'm in pain, I'm just like not into sitting at a piano all day or writing lyrics or something. But when I feel good, when my body feels good, then I actually feel like I can be more creative. I think the key is whatever you're doing, focus 100% when you're doing it. And that's when there's not something that hurts, then I can focus 100%. So that's great. And then just like changing careers, it's fun for me. Honestly, it's it took me how many years before I was hired and from like beginning to when I was hired in San Francisco Ballet. I was 16 when I was hired, which is crazy. I think it was 10 years of me preparing for my ballet career. All the training that I went through, all the stuff, it's like the 10,000 hours um, theory. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bruce I, Lee. I really did put in my, um, my, what did you say? The or Bruce three. Lee, like, or oh, I mean, this might have yeah. been different. Like he practices or he's like, I fear the man who practices a one punch 10,000 times against the man who practices 10,000 punches one time. Yeah. I love, yeah. Or that something was, like that. Um, so it was the, it was the 10,000 tondu thing. <laughs> That's a, when you point your toe okay. in front, but yeah. So it's like, you know, you do a million of one thing before you do it on stage in front of a thousand, you know, 3000 people at an opera house, another 10,000 before you get recognized by the director. And then, you know, you just keep going. If you could have a nickel for every time you did that step before you did it on stage. Um, so I put in a lot of time and effort and putting that amount of time into my music career has been really cool for me to actually have the time. Because at first when I was writing and, and doing all of this, I was not able to give a hundred percent. So it turned into almost like therapy for me. So singing and songwriting was, I was a closeted singer songwriter because I didn't think, well, I didn't have time to do it all the time. So I'd sneak in whenever I had, you know, an, an empty room with a piano, I'd just sneak in and just like play and doodle until I had a rehearsal or a performance or whatever. And so I didn't really ever give it like eight hours at a piano, right? It was just for me to just sit for a few minutes, vent a little bit onto the piano, get recharged and then move on with my life. And now doing it 100% of the time is like finding the routines and when I feel like there's something in my head that's screaming, get to the piano now, you know, and I run over and there's a song that just happens to me. That's been really cool and it's been a fun process, but I understand that it's going to be a lifelong process because there's in the ballet, it was a lifelong process, but your body starts being like, nah, no. But with music, you can keep on going forever. Can, I mean, you, it, do you just it. never stop. Willie Nelson's, how old's Willie Nelson? He's still yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's like that. Music is like that. You can continue doing it forever and not be done. I just got this new program on my computer on my um that you can download sounds. I just got so inspired by all this this music cuz I've been re- orchestrating the symphony that I were that I wrote like a long time ago and now that the pandemic's happened I have a lot of time on my hands <laughs> to work on it. So so I've been doing that mm-hmm. and while doing that I come up with other ideas and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that next. And then this, it dawned on me the other day that I will never stop creating ever. And that is really, really cool for me to just know that there's there's an abundance of creating that I will have to do. Sorry for the sirens. We have a few of those these days. <laughs> so anyway, I just, I'm, I'm excited to just keep creating. No, I think it's important to remember like when you, especially in the creative field, because that's what, you know, we can speak to. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you're always putting 
so much of yourself into your creative endeavors because it's how you express yourself. It's your therapy. So I definitely understand like you're always working. Like I think you mentioned like it wasn't until you had a spot in like West Side Story until your parents knew you could sing. And I totally get that. Like there's so much work put into the show that doesn't always get shown, but I'm still putting in all this work. And if I were to change careers and I loved what I was doing in that other career, I would put in the same amount of energy. Yeah. It just might be different energy. Like, you know, for ballet, it might have been a lot more physical having to do, like I listened to one of your videos where you talk about your like daily schedule and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I know, it's insane, right? Yeah, it's no joke. Or not Now you're in music where you may be spending the same amount of energy, but maybe it's more emotional and maybe it's more spiritual. So it's like, you're still spending that energy. It's in just in different forms. Right. And actually that's what my mom did with, um, so I, my siblings are really cool people as well. Like my sister is a, a world-class athlete and is, she, she's good at everything that she does. She's like probably <laughs> the best athlete in the family, but I won't tell the rest of my family that because everyone's really good and they're all very competitive. Yeah. But my brother's a tennis pro. My sister was a skiing pro. He was also a, a skiing pro as well. My parents are really good at everything too. And my husband, when he first kind of met my parents, he was like, okay, so you've got three kids and they're all really good at what they do. <laughs> and they're all very different things, right? Like mm -hmm. skiing, dance, singing, you know, all the things that we do. And my mom actually said to him, she goes, well, you know what I did with them as kids was I let them get good at one thing really good at one thing. And then it kind of taught them a formula that they could apply to anything that they ever wanted to be good at. So it's like, you know, if you want to be really good at something, you have to, like, let's say piano. We had piano lessons when we were kids and then the teacher was awesome, but um, we had to practice all the time. I mean, it was like my parents actually turned off our cable when we were kids <laughs> and we didn't have anything else to do. So we would practice. It was mm -hmm. pretty genius of them. So we practiced like all the time and that kind of taught us a formula for ballet. It was like a lot of hard work and a lot of criticism that you have to overcome and a lot of things, but it teaches you a formula so that when you go to something else, you apply the same formula, even if it's a different thing completely. If it's writing, I mean, I'm like reading books on writing all of a sudden, you know, and then I spend time doing it and I, I have a mentor and I do, you know, you just, you start learning to to take that formula into everything that you do. The one thing that I'll bring it back to that, that I said earlier is like, do everything a hundred percent when you're doing it. So if you're skiing, don't be thinking about all the other things that you're supposed to be doing or ballet class or whatever you focus when you're there hundred percent. And you know, that's, that's it. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, like we've been saying, you've put in 10,000 hours, 10,000 toe touches, 10,000 punches. If you put in the work, eventually it's going to be, eventually it's going to pay off. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but eventually it right. will. That's exactly right. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to connect more with Empress and be more informed about upcoming releases, you can do so by heading to www.empress-music.com. Once again, that's www.empress-music.com, where you can find more links to her work, including her music, socials, and her music video for Lovely I Am, which you can see her dancing in. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under Empress's episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Once again, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Uh, and then as mentioned in the previous few episodes, moving forward, Water Cooler Talk's mission during these times, and hopefully we can continue to do this after, is to help give back to different parts of our community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. On each episode, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choosing to represent. Water Cooler Talk will give a donation in their name and a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. 
Uh, today, Empress, you are sharing in support of She Is The Music. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Alicia Keys, so I've definitely heard of this one before. Uh, but do you mind speaking to what they do for the community and how they're being a service to our world as a whole? Well, I'm a big fan of anyone who's trying to raise up women, um, especially women who are trying to raise up women, because I guess in my industries, it's always been, you know, women are put in, pl- in positions where they're not able to really be supportive of one another. You know, there's usually only one part for, you know, 700 girls want the same part, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not a great situation to be in. Um, if you want to support women, it's just, it's, it's more challenging. So this was really cool for me because I was like, wait, women are now you know, like in this, in this industry, women have kind of, I don't think there's competitiveness as much because it's not like direct competitive. You know, it's not like we're all going for the same one role as Juliet or something, but everyone kind of has this thing where they've got their own thing going on. And then there's like these cats that come out and they have these cat fights. This is the opposite of that. I don't stand for any of that, by the way. It's never been my personality type, but I, I observe it a lot in my industries and I'm always bummed out you know, by it. Because I think if women actually supported each other, then um, equality wouldn't come from the opposite sex. It would come from within, you know? And I think that that's basically the whole point of She Is The Music is equality comes from supporting each other. As a a female, you know, like in the music industry, I, I try as much as I can to have a team of females around me because I think we could all lift each other up and kind of have a lot to say. And if we are all succeeding, then those who are at the at the very top can extend their hand to those who follow and bring them all up. There's just not enough women in the music industry, especially like producers. And there, there's more There's more now than even a couple years ago, but they're still not quite, they haven't had enough time. It's like we've started the race miles behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if we're in the race now, we still haven't been in it long enough to be like the 10,000 hour mark kind of thing. So yeah. She Is Music is just a really cool organization. I'm a big fan of of everything that they do and how they support women and try and actually just empower them to be in the entertainment industry and then support each other. Well, I very much appreciate you bringing them on the show today. Yeah, me too. All right, Empress, are you ready to jump into another news story? Yes, let's do it. Uh, This is from the newstatesman.com. Spotify's new tip jar won't say the industry, but it asks us to consider music's value. Um, and I do want to like just mention a disclaimer to the listeners before we get into the story. I do want to address that Water Cooler Talk does have a relationship with Spotify. I kind of mentioned it early in the show. We've been them, we've been with them since the beginning of podcasts on Spotify. They've helped the show expand internationally. So I do want to address that. Just put that out there. Be as transparent as possible. However, I am able to speak freely and without bias about Spotify. So I will, if Spotify needs it, I will give them some sass. All right. Recently, the streaming platform Spotify announced the introduction of an artist fundraising pick function. The new feature will allow musicians to place a make a contribution button on their page, offering fans the opportunity to donate directly to the artist or a charity of their choice. The new function aims to support artists and the creative community who have been deeply impacted by the effects of the devastating virus, namely those musicians who will drastically feel the financial impact of canceled tours, studio sessions, and promotional opportunities. Ever since streaming revenue surpassed CD sales in 2017, Musicians have switched from using tours to promote CDs to using streaming platforms to promote tours. Musicians have been relying on live ticket sales more than ever, but 
With venues closed and international travel all but impossible because of the pandemic, many musicians have been left without an income. Spotify does not officially disclose how much it pays a song rights holder. Uh, this could be split between a label, producer, songwriter, and the artist. But a blog by Soundcharts in 2019 calculated that the rate lies at an average of $3.18 per 1,000 streams. Many have been very critical of Spotify for its monetary system, including Taylor Swift, who pulled her catalog from Spotify, but later returned her music to the flat for it not being respectful of an artist's worth. One positive many have found from the introduction of Spotify's tip jar function, as many are beginning to label it, is that as an opportunity to support a group that the platform has never taken seriously before, smaller independent musicians. In the case where Spotify tripled royalty rates, as many are calling for the platform to do during our current pandemic, this would only benefit the highest stream artist on Spotify as they use a pro rata system that divides payout based on listening time. A tipping jar would allow fans to support smaller artists directly and avoid adding more into the pockets of Spotify royalty including Drake, Ed Sheeran, and The Weeknd. The tipping jar model has already found success on sites such as Bandcap, which is widely seen by artists and fans as one of the fairest platforms on which to sell music, but many believe this is a half hearted gesture from a company that has long profited off of underpaid artists' music and played a heavy hand in transforming the music industry for the worst. Albeit conflated and somewhat hypocritical, Spotify's new feature encourages us to consider the value of music and the artists who make that music, and that can only be a positive thing. Uh, Empress, as a musical artist yourself, what are your thoughts on Spotify's tip jar? I mean, I don't I don't know. Um, I think that it's great for some artists who really do rely uh, solely on their their touring and, you know, just for an income, for an extra income. I, I love that. But I wonder, and, and I haven't used it myself, so I, this is all just kind of we're just going to like throw this out there and, and chat about it. it. It does feel a bit degrading in, in some ways, only because it's like, what are we? We're professionals and now we're putting out a tip jar. It kind of feels like you're a street performer all of a sudden. And, mm -hmm. and those, you know, nothing against street performers, but they all aspire to be at the level that these people are at. And so kind of like bringing everybody down and kind of leveling the playing field a little bit, just it doesn't necessarily... And I think we can all agree to this. There's something about going somewhere and having a performance and then the performing artist like holds up a tip jar like, no, it wasn't free. Nobody likes that. Not one person I know. I mean, my husband and I always talk about this. Like yesterday, for instance, we bought a Vitamix 10 years ago. Should have a warranty for 10 years. I call Vitamix yesterday. We bought them from these guys called the Blender Boys. And they literally had this like whole thing at Costco. We went to Costco. We bought them. We find out that the Blender Boys bought the um, Vitamix on like QVC for a much cheaper price. And then they were selling them at full price for us. And we thought that it was covered under Costco, but it's not. And QVC's thing expired a long time ago and now our Vitamix is broken and we don't have a warranty. And we were so mad about that because we're just like, we feel duped. Nobody likes to feel duped. Like we mm -hmm. were taken advantage of by someone that you trusted. Your artist is like singing a song, pouring their heart out and then asking for money afterwards. How do you feel if somebody does that to you? No, I definitely, I very much understand that because it is, it feels like a street performance where I almost feel guilty if I don't leave a tip. It, all these different emotions where you feel angry or you, it might push your audience actually away if they want to give that's that is that is lovely to be able to give i i do appreciate that but right now i feel like entertainers should be giving and not the people you know what i mean we should be like helping you know people in hospitals we should be giving our music to like help it's like 
It's like giving people nourishing food when they're hungry. We're like, we're the ones that are going to satisfy this craving. And I understand that there is a, a business involved, but that shouldn't be like the reason why we do it. You know, if that kind of, I don't know, the tip jar kind of brings me to this place where like, we did not start being an artist for the money. I, I understand that we have to make money. I totally do. I, I get that. And they don't want to have to be a waiter or, well, not that's a thing anymore, but they, they don't want to have to have like five other jobs and be the singer and keep up the level of expertise that they, that needs to be there in order to do what we do. But I feel like right now we should be the ones giving and not not taking from other people for, you know our art. Art is, it's not free all the time, but it's not why you start being an artist. I definitely like understand your point. And I think something that this pandemic did is, and will do moving forward is make people realize that they need as many different income streams as possible. They really need to start diversifying their income because I definitely get your point, but I also kind of see this as a positive step forward for much smaller creators. Yeah. Because if you're on Spotify and unless you're, you know, making that Joe Rogan money, like you're probably not making a lot of money. Unless you're Drake, unless you're Ed Sheeran the weekend, you're probably not making, you know, a ton of money because first off, you're probably splitting it with a lot more people. I kind of see this as just like an alternative revenue stream. Yeah. But I also do understand like, yeah, art isn't free, you know, Specifically for podcasts, a lot of people use Patreon, but Patreon is also offering like if you sign up for a Patreon, you're you're getting something with it. You're getting something extra that you wouldn't get. So it's tough when you have Spotify, which you, you know, if you use it for free, obviously it's a different situation. But if you're using premium, you're paying this monthly subscription that over time that money does go to the artist, albeit, you know, not maybe the fairest, you know, situation. I I guess I could understand where people are like, well, I'm already paying for Spotify. I'm already supporting my artist in other way by maybe buying their music, going to their shows. Obviously it's a bit different now in this pandemic. I don't feel comfortable tipping them when I could support them other ways. I I think that it's it could be positive. I'm I'm personally not using it right now because I just honestly you don't make money from streaming unless you are a big artist. But the big artists put a lot of money into making money. I mean, you, you it is the the age old you have to have money to make money syndrome that a lot of these artists have a lot of money backing them. And so they pour money into the promotion, into the whatever, whoever gets paid to get these streams, but they're not making very much money. So I think actually Mm -hmm. this should maybe go back to the basics of these platforms run around the artists, right? It's it's not the artists that should be running the circles around these platforms. It's the artists. And, and this actually goes to our empress mentality, our emperor mentality is like, if you really are the ruler of your own life, then people, you know, and, and each person is the ruler of their own life, then things start working for you, not vice versa. And I think artists, we don't respect ourselves enough. And a lot of times in my, you know, my ballet career, nobody's around long enough to get anything changed in that industry because everyone's very young. They're all eager beavers. And then when their bodies get injured or whatever, or old, we have to retire. And so there's no one that actually stays long enough in like, say the unions to actually make a difference. Because, you know, for me, even I was there for 11 years, I feel like nothing changed. And still the dancers are complaining about the same old, you know, we don't have enough time in between shows or, you know, all the the basic things. It's not even money necessarily. It's just the, res- the self-respect. I think the real problem is that artists don't 
normally make money or good money from um, from streaming. I mean, mm-hmm. you said it yourself. It's point zero zero three cent. I mean, if you really think about that, that's no money for your music that you're putting out, and it's it takes uh, some money to put together. So you're you're already negative, whatever it is. And so I think the the real problem is that we're not making money on our music anyway. And where where do you start with that? You start with like, okay, well, someone wasn't in there negotiating against Spotify when they were developing these contracts. There's these stories about Steve Jobs kind of lying in in the um, in the room with different record labels, saying like, well, this record label said it's fine, and they didn't, you know. And and artists got screwed because artists aren't in the room negotiating these contracts. For me, anyways, it's going to be one of my biggest things is actually developing a new system that actually artists are the center of the universe, and everyone else comes to us, and we get paid, and we own our work. Think too often like Taylor Swift and stuff. And this is this is just something that I feel very passionate about. So I apologize if this rocks anyone's boat or ruffles any feathers. <laughs> but I think for artists, we need to start treating this more like a business. If this was a business, this is a really poor way to run your business. You're not getting mm-hmm. paid for the stuff that you do. When does that ever make sense? Well, kind of the speaking to your ballet thing, it's like a lot of these smaller artists, they're balancing like the morality of joining a company like Spotify and also realizing like for um, example, my podcast, 60% of my audience is from Spotify. Am I going to say like, well, you know, screw you, Spotify, and then just lose 60% of my audience? I think it's important, and I'll talk more about this in the third story, but like you can be on a platform and be of service to that platform, release things on that platform, but still change that platform from the inside. Right. Like yeah. you don't need to just say, you know, fuck you, Spotify. You have to be then... inside to change it anyways. It it comes from within. Change always mm-hmm. comes from within. Empowerment, it doesn't come from outside. It's you. It's it's all within. You d- you have to play the game. I've played all the games. I get it. You just you just play it. But at some point, you know, when do we start changing the game? And when it's impossible to change that game, when do you stop playing it? You know? And I think that it backfired on someone like Taylor Swift a little bit because she was like, I'm not playing that game. And then it it becomes, like I said, Spotify, Apple Music, they're their own planet. They all revolve around the same thing. It's the artists. You know, they wouldn't have a platform if it wasn't for people that us, like that come together and create beautiful things. And I think for artists, you know, we do it because we love to do it and we don't start it because we want to be in the music industry for money, but it turns into a business at some point. We all have to grow up and start, you know, treating ourselves with more respect and it too often it happens too late in the game and the business guys never you know miss miss a beat with taking advantage of new artists well i think yeah that's the most important thing to remember is these platforms are businesses taylor swift was like i'm gonna pull my music from spotify because they don't pay me enough now she's back on spotify because she understood that well i'm losing a large chunk of my audience because people on spotify don't want to go on to apple music or this or that or that so i think yeah it is very important to understand the business aspect of your dreams. Because if this is something you want to do, if you put in the 10,000 hours to do something, I think it's important to also be aware of the business side of it. Like I'm very aware of the business side of podcasting. Like I understand the ins and outs as much as I can in this kind of new industry, but I understand what works, what doesn't. 
you know, what I need to do, speaking back to branding, like what I need to do with my brand to make sure I'm successful. And I'm not on every single platform because I realize like, why waste my time putting myself on a platform? People aren't going to listen to Spreading yourself so thin. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I share my podcast, I share it from Spotify because of this relationship. And then I have like six other things that I'll share it from because I know 98, 98.3% of my audience is on these eight platforms. So I know like, why waste my time on the other 500,000 platforms that you can put a podcast on when I know this is where my audience is. And it's a part of, you know, back to what I said, it's a part of like balancing the morality and the business. Like, all right, yeah, you can be this goody, goody two-shoe who wants to work with good companies, but then also understanding like, well, no one's going to listen to me because, you know, Bandcamp is, you know, as they mentioned in this article, one of the best for supporting artists. You know, how many times do you hear people becoming famous off of Bandcamp? Who's, you know, I, I mean, I used to, that's, that's a bad example because I used to use Bandcamp to find clients, but it's not up there with the big boys. Like you said at the very beginning, it's not up there with these gigantic giants that are Spotify, yeah. Tidal, Apple Music. So it's like, kind of to my point, you have to balance the morality and what's best for your brand specifically. And I guess too, going, yeah, going into that a little bit, it's like you almost have to become bigger than the big boys before you can change mm-hmm. it nowadays. So that's an interesting thing. So how do you do that? You play the game until you become equal or bigger and you have a louder voice and then you can maybe change a little bit, but you can't do it by like hitting people over the head. I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know, you can't beat beat that into somebody, but you have to like do it in a productive way and a, a a thoughtful way. I I'm already working on, by the way, like not blowing up these big giant things, but just slightly changing them, or maybe having them connected to something that actually will make it better. And I don't think anyone starts a business thinking like, oh, I'm gonna you know really mess up this industry and like really take advantage. I think they start out with them, um, and it's the same with artists. We start out because we love it and we want to do something really great. And then, you know, like everything, there's like little aches and pains. There's like little things that um have to be ironed out, little creases and stuff. And I think this is the pandemic definitely is has uh this global pandemic has just shifted things that these you know, these wheels that had no incentive of ever stopping were stopped. Mm -hmm. And there's no one that is taking the blame. There's no one that's getting any credit for it. It just stopped. And now it has to change. It was forced to change a lot of industries. And what's cool about right now is I feel like it did level the playing field a little bit, whereas there was this monopoly of Mm -hmm. like certain record labels kind of run everything. They all of a sudden had to like stop by them stopping. Everyone was like, what? Like now I can be, you know, doing the same thing that this person did, but she had like a million dollars behind her. And now she's doing the same thing that I'm doing. Bedroom singing. <laughs> well, I think it's important to really remember, like, I like how you said, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do have to play the game. That doesn't mean you can't change the industry you're in. You can still change the industry you're in, but there is like the ebbs and flows of how an industry works and what makes it successful. And, you know, one of the things I've seen, or we've all kind of seen streaming platforms do is, I mean, they're starting to make record labels obsolete. Somebody can, you know, release a song on Spotify and go viral overnight. And now they have a career. I mean, little Nas, the little Walmart kid who just was singing in Walmart, he got famous off of, you know, just a video of him singing in Walmart. He didn't need a label. I think now he's on a label. You know, I think one of the good things these platforms are doing, and you kind of have to take the good with the bad is they are allowing independent artists 
to be independent and not have to necessarily join a label and play the games of the label and the music industry, which isn't bad, by the way. And actually, when you talk to anybody in a label that runs a record label nowadays, they don't make their money necessarily from artists anymore, which is interesting to me. Um, It's like they actually invest in things like Spotify, you know, Uber for like eventually they're going to have their own Uber channels and stuff. It's like they do other things. The artists are like the medium in between all of that. But it's it is fascinating how many people have told me I don't need a record label being an artist. You know, here I am like thinking, oh, you need to be in a company because that's all I know. You know, San Francisco Ballet, a Broadway show. There are these big companies and then it's an umbrella that you're under. You're supported. They always, you know look out for you. The new way of doing it is very different. Record labels are not necessarily making money on artists anymore like they used to. So they are focusing on other things and which might changes everything. I think it's okay. Like if you want to be on a record label, you can be on a record label. If you want to be independent, you can be independent. It's like whatever path you want to do. Specifically, I know I could put in all the work in the world and try to build this podcast as a solo enterprise, but I also know the benefits of joining a already established network. Going back to branding, most of the time, the reason people want to get on labels or networks is because they already have established branding. They already have the money where it needs to be. And I can just be like, all right, I have a good show. Now get me to the masses. Whereas if I was independent, you know, I would have to do that all myself. Mm -hmm. So I definitely can understand why people like it, why people don't, everything in between. No, exactly. And you get on the the bigger stages and it's playing the game and there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know what I would ask the um, the big industries to do, and this is something that I do with everything that I'm creating, is what does my creation look like in 100 years and how does that affect humanity? I think if people just started asking that simple question, what does this look like in 100 years instead of it's just, it's all, I feel like we don't plan very far ahead right now and everything's in the now and things change and shift so quickly. But if we really try and start thinking long-term and like a hundred years long-term when you're not here anymore, what does it look like and how have you changed the world? You know, I think that that actually would benefit humanity very, very much. We wouldn't be taking advantage of anyone. It's just you're thinking long term. No, that's a good point. Because if you really think about it, like impactful art is art that's impactful long after the artist is gone. Long, long time. And I think that's important to be like, how how is my art going to impact the future? I I really like that saying. And then, well, kind of on that point, (laughs) how do you see the music industry changing with the rise of these streaming platforms? Well, it's, it's definitely, it's an interesting time because everything changed overnight. You know, in March, it was like, all right, everything shut down. Every artist kind of stopped for a second and was just like, okay, what's happening? We all like kind of check out the landscape. Streaming is really cool because of the fact that you are capable of listening to anything at any moment. And it's a um, multi-generational bender, right? So we've, we've literally in the past heard our parents or our grandparents talk about going to a record store, sifting through, not knowing what you're going to buy, buying your thing, going home, playing it, listening to it on your bed. And that was it. And then they listened to it over and over and over again. They started this collection where they'd go to a dance, they'd hear a song, nobody knew who it was. And so someone would have to find out. Nowadays, there's no generational music anymore because we can listen to anything at any time. So I met a kid the other day who was like just learning about Aerosmith. He was like super proud of this discovery as if it was like Elvis Presley for my grandpa. (laughs) Like I found Elvis Presley in this 
store mm-hmm. and it was the, you know, whatever, nothing but a hound dog. And I listened to it 85 times in a row and that was it. And nowadays it's like people can go from Elvis to Aerosmith to Spice Girls to, you know, Little Nas to Beyonce. And you're just like, when have we ever been able to do that in history? So it's really cool. I think it, it will help people. There's like the fads that happen in any industry, but in music, you kind of hear like, oh, there's a certain style of the now. It's going to maybe help shift that and not kind of make everything all the same. You know, there's like, there's no right or wrong anymore because it's now timeless and people can listen to it at any time. So I think that's really exciting. And it's really cool that kids are exposed to different types of music nowadays and they it just depends on what their mood is yeah that's a very good point like it's more global so people like i just watched um today explained something on k-pop i just watched this literally before we started recording and they were talking about how k-pop is taking all these different influences from rock rap you know country and mixing them into one song so it's finding a bigger audience so more people can enjoy music from all over the world because they're finding those influences from music you know, if you really like rap music, well, here's this K-pop song that has a little bit of rap in it. And now you're a K-pop fan. It's amazing, right? There's no boundaries, um, generational or global, you know, globally speaking, we're just, there's no boundaries anymore. The, the one downside to it, I will say is that like anything else, there's a lot of it. And so it becomes diluted a little bit. So people are, I, f- I forget what the number is of how many songs are uploaded to Spotify per day. It's like, it's a ridiculous number and not all of it is good. So I think kind of being able to to be an artist, even even when you haven't really put in the dedication or that, you know, if you don't even have the talent, I'm so sorry to say that. Everyone deserves to be an artist, but nowadays everyone is an artist and, you know, there's there's a lot of watered down things to sift through before you can find that diamond in the rough. Whereas before that stuff that people sifted through was done by record label execs and they, you know, had thousands of people that they'd listened to before they signed one. And then they'd have a thousand songs that they'd write. I forget how many... Um, Michael Jackson. So Quincy Jones listened to like 250 different songs before he put 12 together for Michael Jackson's Thriller album or however many are on Well, that's even like Prince. Like they're like he has thousands and thousands of songs that they can still make albums of after he's dead. And that's what Dolly Parton's doing. There's something really cool about the fact that somebody else sifted through it and you didn't have to do that. But there's also really something fun on the other side of that and like kind of discovering artists yourself. You know, people are becoming their own like, oh, I discovered this new artist and she's awesome. Her name's Empress. You know, like you can do that now and it's your discovery. It's not, you know, you being played something that was already discovered. Yeah. I remember I found out about my favorite band, Small Pools, through Spotify. I just happened to find them one day. and I was like, oh, all right. Now they're my favorite band. You know, they're amazing people. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. I think that's the important part is there's a lot of content out there. You know, I definitely like I think YouTube for some is like multiple, multiple thousands and millions of hours per minute or something. So there's so much out there. It's a really crazy. It's more, um, hang on, per hour. It's more content than an average lifespan. So it's like, you know, let's say you live 75 years or something. There's more content uploaded per hour than you could watch in a lifetime, which is... Yeah, it's so much. And then like, 
you, you're kind of saying like anyone can be an artist these days. Specifically, I'll speak to the podcasting industry because I don't have any musical talent as maybe, I don't know, people who have listened to my theme song, they might think so. <laughs> uh, but so many people are making podcasts these days. So many people, especially during this pandemic. Oh, gosh, and it's totally. like, there's like the stat that like, you're pretty much a successful podcast if you make more than three episodes because people just give up. So it's kind of like saturating the market a bit, but at the end of the day, if you're really willing to put in the work, to put in the hours, like we keep you know, mentioning, you're going to rise above. And eventually, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but you're going to find that success if you're putting in the work for that success. I totally agree with that. Like, mic drop. All right, Empress, <laughs> are you ready to move into our final news story of the day about good old TikTok? Sure, let's do it. All right, this is from TheIntercept.com. TikTok told moderators to suppress posts by ugly people and the poor to attract new users. Yes, it's the story as ridiculous as it sounds. According to two documents obtained and released by The Intercept, the makers of TikTok, ByteDance, instructed moderators to suppress posts created by users deemed to be too ugly, too poor, or too disabled for the platform. Those same documents showed moderators were also able to censor political speech in TikTok live streams and punish those who harmed national honor or broadcast streams about state organs such as police, with bans from the platform. ByteDance is a Chinese multinational internet technology company similar to Facebook here in the US, which is headquartered in Beijing. In 2017, the company acquired Musical.ly for between $800 million to $1 billion and combined it with their app Douyin into TikTok. ByteDance is said to have strategic partnerships with Chinese state-supported ventures in Beijing and Shanghai and has garnered public attention over allegations that it works closely with the Chinese government to censor and surveil content pertaining to Xinjiang uh, re-education camps and other topics the government deems controversial. The documents and sources unnamed but directly familiar with TikTok censorship activities provided insight into the rigid constraints against its reported 800 million monthly users or shown an image of a social media platform that prides itself on being a global paragon of self-expression and anything goes creativity that is open to any and all users. One document goes as far as to instruct moderators to scan uploads from cracked walls and disreputable decorations from users' own home and then effectively punish these poor TikTokers by artificially narrowing their audience and their outright reach on the platform. TikTok spokesperson Josh Gartnett told The Intercept that most of, uh, quotations, the livestream guidelines in those documents are either no longer in use or in some cases appear to have never been in place, but he would not provide specific details. As for the policy of suppressing videos featuring unattractive, disabled, or poor users, Gartner stated that the rules represented an early, blunt attempt at preventing bullying, but are no longer in place. As stated in the article, Gartner did not explain why a document purportedly aimed at preventing bullying made zero mention of bullying. Furthermore, unnamed sources indicated that both sets of policies were in use through at least the late 2019 period, and that the live stream policy document had been created sometime in the year 2019. As for the policy on unattractive, poor, and disabled users, the document revealed the argument to exclude these users were based on the idea that uploads by this group could decrease the short-term new user retention rate if available on the For You section of the app. The For You section is TikTok's discover page for new content. In September of 2019, The Guardian reported on a similar content moderation document that showed TikToks instructs its moderators to censor videos that mention Tiananmen Square, Tibetan independence, or the banned religious group Fulu. 
Langong, among other authoritarian-friendly censorship rules. TikTok acknowledges these claims and responded, In TikTok's early days, we took a blunt approach to minimizing conflict on the platform, and our moderation guidelines allowed penalties to be given for content that promoted conflict, such as between religious sects or ethnic groups spanning a number of regions around the world. The old guidelines in question are outdated and no longer in use. Even though many social networks have a wide range of community rules that give moderators nuts and bolts instructions on what to delete and what to keep, many of those rules are not decided by them, but instead by the higher-ups that control the bottom line of the company. For TikTok, even though they have 12 global offices that help dictate global policy, the creation of rules are being emphasized by ByteDance's Beijing headquarters and their Chinese staff, who as previously mentioned, allegedly, I have to say allegedly, have built a partnership with the Chinese government. The matter of who decides what ugliness means for hundreds of millions of people, what disreputable decor means, or how many wrinkles are considered too many wrinkles remains glaringly open and unaddressed. Instead, TikTok users and fans must continue to rely on the community guidelines page to guide their conduct, while the actual rules remain always on the verge of revision, revocation, or disavowal via corporate statements from the Chinese multi-billion dollar company, ByteDance. So I do want to do a disclaimer with this story as well. So there's a ton of information in these documents, just a ton in the actual article as well. You know, I usually try to do my best to kind of sum up what I thought was important. But as it goes, you know, what I find important might not be important to some other people. So I highly recommend reading through this article, listener, reading the actual documents that The Intercept release, and then just reading about stories about, you know, the documents and kind of the impact of these documents. So Empress, after reading through the article, just just what are your initial thoughts? <laughs> There's whoa. a lot to unpack. I mean, whoa, yeah, it's. Um, I'm not a fan of TikTok anyway, but that just helped me. Um, that confirmed a few things for me. I was just like, wow, very unfair to a lot of people. There's one song that that I wrote called "Lovely I Am" that really speaks about inner beauty, especially being from a world. The ballet world is visual. It's a visual art form. So it just, it really is all about how you look. Doesn't matter how you feel or what intention you're putting behind. It's just how you look, period. It's a tough world to navigate through because, you know, you're your own worst enemy in that case because, you know, the the mirrors turn into funhouse mirrors. Like you start seeing things that don't even exist. You start looking for the negative rather than the positive. And I think that finding actually the inner beauty and letting that shine through actually changes your outward appearance. Um, and now, you know, with social media in general, it's like, it's a very out, it's very similar to the ballet world in that it is a visual world. But what's really cool about it is that there's a lot of people on it that kind of make you feel like you're not alone in whatever, if you have a, um, an illness or a, a dis- disability. Um, if you have, you know, blue eyes rather than brown eyes, if you have, you know, there's a lot of, of everything. And so you don't feel alone, which I think is usually really cool. And then hearing that, that just makes me so sad because then it just filters people that feel alone already. It makes them feel even lonelier in a way and less worthy of, I don't know, their own love really. So that, that just makes me sad. This is going to be controversial, but from a monetary standpoint, I get it. I get what they're doing, but from a moral standpoint, I'm not a huge, gigantic, the jerk store is calling jerk. You know, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's, you know, there was this episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David goes to this restaurant and he's seated in the ugly section. And it was like, <laughs> this happens in our world. This is a very prevalent it thing. Really does. You know, people oh. put attractiveness over 
quality over all of these things. So I definitely understand TikTok's reasoning for do this. It doesn't mean it's a good reason to do this. But yeah, from that moral standpoint, you know, especially with social media, like people are really struggling to find that inner beauty because we're going on social media and we're seeing these beautiful people and we're like, well, I'm not this person. No. And then you're like, well, I feel like shit about myself because I'm eating the sandwich and this person, you know, is working out on the beaches of Bali. (laughs) And I'm just like, well, all right. And then you hear these documents by TikTok that says we're literally feeding this to you. And I think the important thing to remember is Instagram's doing this. Facebook's doing this. Yeah, I was just going to say they're not by themselves, by the way. We, we we love pointing fingers at China. And when you're in China, ironically, they point fingers right back at America. The news is always pointing fingers. And, and there's, there's two sides of the story and the truth. So, yeah, with that being said, you're right. It's being fed to us if we don't think that it's happening right in front of our own eyes and in our... I'm in Silicon Valley, so... There's a lot of startups that happen. And you're right. It is. It's good for business. People like pretty things. We're drawn to pretty things. I think the definition of what pretty is, I just hope that it changes and opens up the doors to what beauty really is. And I think that a lot of industries are doing that. You know, there's like, we're not just looking at pretty from being skinny or pretty from being like perfect skin or perfect teeth or whatever, or rich or all of those things. I think now that they're, they're kind of opening the doors to what the definition, mm-hmm. when I say they, it's like the beauty fashion industry have, have taken a lot of strides. The music industry has taken a lot of strides, the Broadway community, the film industry, they've all done a lot of things. And these are the I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, this is what pushes society forward. These are all the industries that have a lot of pull. They can change people's minds. But actually, I'm not a teenager going through social media Mm -hmm. bullying, right? There's a lot of that going on. And I have like some really devastating stories that I've heard and a couple girls who have started eating disorders because they were called fat by some jerk, you know, that doesn't know anything about ballet and just says, oh, I thought ballerinas are supposed to be skinny. And, you know, they ruin these children's lives by bullying. And children are are being really, you know, different on social media than they would ever be to someone's face. You have that confidence when you're sitting behind a keyboard to actually say it. Yeah. It's almost like it doesn't really, it's not, it's not real mm-hmm. or something. Like when you're looking at a, a screen, that's not the real thing, but there's a person, there's, there's feelings behind that screen. And and I think until it happens to you, you don't realize how much that impacts your life. Well, I remember like when I was using dating apps and I was like messaging girls back and forth, I was like, all right, if I'm going to send something, would I feel comfortable if my family read this in front of everyone at like a reunion? I think that's like, for me, that really helped be like respectful and just send forth messages that, you know, I'm not going to be like the perfect, I've probably sent a lot of bad messages that I shouldn't have sent. But I've learned throughout the years, it's like, you know what, this is another person, even though basically it's just ones and zeros. So like when you're commenting, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Selena Gomez fan. She hasn't sent me her album yet, which, I, you know, we'll get into that in another discussion. <laughs> but anyways, like you see some of the comments under these, you know, superstars Instagrams. And it's like, what are the, who are these people? Like, who are these people that think they can comment just these derogatory things and it's just okay. It's it's not real to them, but 
we are, we're all humans. I think we, we kind of forget that we have one thing in common. We're all humans, no matter if you're Chinese or American or, you know, Swiss or what, you know, there's a million, a million versions of what humanity means and they're, you know, to each their own. But I think, um, with, with, Finding your inner beauty doesn't come from outside anyways. I guess not taking <laughs> and I and and this is just like, I don't know, this is such a wobbly platform because it's like, you know, there's a business side and and then there's like the humanity side and then there's like us in the middle. We're just like trying to teeter-totter all over this to realize that social media in general is not reality. Very good I think point. that that's probably the basis for everything is like if we just I had to talk about this with my mom the other day cuz she she and I were talking about social media and she said something about someone I'm like, "Mom, it's that's that's not real. Like none of this is real." Most of the time it's the highlights of their life. It's the highlights. Like we always joke about creating the un-Facebook and like, "Oh man, I feel so full. You know, I can't even button my top button or like this is me when I'm crying or, you know, this is me on my worst day ever. Nobody does that on purpose because we don't want to put that out in the world. And I think that's fine. I think that if you focus on the negatives in the world, actually, we would attract more of that. And so I'm a big believer in filtering in the same way that TikTok is filtering, filtering what you decide to put into your mind, like what you consume. If you start filtering that, you will start wanting positivity. You'll want the little cute kid that says mama for the first time or sings a song with her daddy for the first time. It's like the the things that we we all crave are those really lovely moments. And so I understand where TikTok is coming from with we want the lovely things in life. We kind of want to see the flowers. We don't want to see the roots all the time. The roots still exist though. So you can't just ignore those things. I have a few friends who have um, disabilities. They don't see them as disabilities, which is amazing, but they're still, you know, they're not, they're not able to do a lot of the things that like we could do. And to discriminate against them because of that is just, it wasn't their choice. Most of the time, it's not like a choice to be disabled, right? Like, and I, I said most of the time, actually all the time, I will totally rephrase that all the time. They're not, it's not necessarily a choice. Choices are what we support and and how we what we put into our our minds. Well, and this is kind of going a little bit into like my artificial intelligence and why I think like robots can never have sentient beliefs. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. But like the people deciding what's beautiful, you know, the moderators that are deciding what's beautiful, albeit you know from the rules of the higher ups, like they're choosing the next generation of what's beautiful, there's issues with that because what I find beautiful, you may not find beautiful at all. And what you find beautiful, I might not find beautiful at all. And so, to each their own. That's what that's the beauty of art, mm-hmm. right? Like that's really what it comes down to is that I'm going to have a very different opinion of the same piece of art that you know, you're looking at, I'm going to look at it and say, Oh my gosh, I've never seen the star. And you're going to be like, wait, there's a star where, you know, it's, it's interesting or, or like, wow, I feel so moved by this piece. And you're like, I don't feel anything. Should I be feeling something? And I'm telling you, yeah, you need to feel something. And that's not, that's not what art is about. Anyways, we're supposed to have our own opinions and decide our own things and also change. We're, we're free to change our minds. I've looked at things before ballet or something. I'm like, Oh God, no, I don't like that ballet. And then I'll do it. And I'll be like, this is my favorite ballet ever. Yeah. 
I remember TV shows I liked when I was a little kid, and now I watch them. I'm like, what was I, what was I choosing there? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. <laughs> or songs that you're embarrassed I do of, think um, knowing. The kind, yeah, to kind of play like the devil's advocate here, like what we talked about with like record labels, sifting through all this music and finding the gems or what they think the gems are. I definitely understand TikTok as a business is like, all right, people like attractiveness. People like, you know, the flower. They don't like the root. Right. So I understand the business aspect of it. And I think, you know, we sounds like we kind of both agree on it. But the moral standpoint of it is this is not how you create a better world, a more productive, loving, self-loving world is these aren't this is it's, not the way it's creating a lot of insecurity, I think. And then it's also creating a lot of fake everything because mm-hmm. at some point, you know, when are we going to have glasses that have augmented reality filters that make our skin perfectly smooth or be able to edit our life? So, you know, all the things that you don't want to see, you just delete, you know, like that's that's not realistic. It might happen, but it's not necessarily going to be the thinking a hundred years in advance of how that's going to be affecting humanity. And you always want to think about it like, Am I affecting it positively? Is this going to positively impact humanity? When I think it's important that, you know, big creators, like specifically Rihanna and her Fenty brand, like they're using unphotoshopped photos. They're using people of all different body sizes. I think it starts from those big creators saying, hey, we need to make a change. Like, yeah. you know, you've seen those photos of like actresses and actors where pre-Photoshop photo and the post-Photoshop photo, you're like, these are two completely different people. So I think it's- They're not even real. Yeah, yeah, these people in these high profile situations that need to say, this needs to change. And specifically for Rihanna starting her own brand, I'm going to be the catalyst for this change. If you play the game, because she has played the game, and you become bigger than the game, then you can change it, you know? And and that's not always the case. You can start your own game if you want to. But I think for her, she did a great thing by doing what she did, becoming a big celebrity. And then within the world that she was in, she can change it. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier about, yes, you know, sometimes you have to play the game, but that doesn't mean you have to be the game. You can make your own game. You can change the game. You can change the rules. Right. But sometimes yeah, you to, have to be start. real with the world, you have to to play the game a little bit. Uh, And then more of our discussion kind of on the story was focused on the ideas of beauty. But I do want to touch a bit on censorship. Um, You know, we're coming from a country where our First Amendment is literally the freedom of speech and the freedom to basically not be censored. Why do you think much of the people who see an article like this pertaining to TikTok will continue to use apps such as TikTok? Oh my God, I don't even know how to answer that question. You have to like go first because this is- I, I, like, I will go first. That yeah. is, that's a great question. I just have to think about it. Well, it just it just made me think of something that I wanted to dive deeper into in another kind of show, but like compassion fatigue. Hmm. People care. People are going to read the article. They're going to listen to this episode, hopefully, and they will give a shit. But how am I supposed to give a shit about everything going on in the world? You know, in Minnesota, we just had the situation with George Floyd. Just because I'm not talking about it every single day doesn't mean I don't care about it. You know, I'm bringing on guests to talk about that situation. I care about it. Right. But I also care about, you know, family and friends dying of COVID. You know, I care about fr- my friends in Africa whose farms and livelihood are being affected by the locust plagues. Fa- friends and family dealing with sexual assault. The list goes on. I, and I definitely understand my privilege in being able to care about those things and be safe in myself. But just because I'm not going 110% towards a cause doesn't mean I don't care. So when people see this headline but still use TikTok, I, I understand that. 
you know, unfortunately, I can't speak to the Chinese perspective. You know, I have no idea whatsoever what it's like to be in a censored country. But I think it's important when we use those apps, use TikTok, use Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any of these big social media apps, is we understand the privilege we have in using them and use that privilege to build a more productive conversation.、Mm -hmm. You know, as we've been talking about, you can still use a platform. And be against what it stands for because you can change it from the inside. That's how real change happens. Is sometimes from the inside. So you know you can still use TikTok. You can still be knowing what TikTok does to really promote their platform and really grow their platform, and still use TikTok. People are making careers off of TikTok. People are pursuing creative、uh, their creative dreams. They're even sharing support in situations such as the death of George Floyd. I've seen a ton of people, you know, with really good posts about that situation. That's really impactful. But I think it's important. The same with you know, like Rihanna and the Fenty brand, is to call up these leaders to be leaders.、Right. Call them up to really live up to the definition of what being a leader is. You know. Just because you know we might not, you know, I talked about this in the Cecil Harris with the U.S. woman trying to get equal pay. Just because we're not going to be able to see the effects of what we fight for for today, doesn't mean we shouldn't be fighting for the effects of the generation after and the and the generations after that. So, I think you know when it really comes down to it, it's just compassion fatigue, man. You can't care about everything in the world, honestly, and be the、yeah. social justice warrior. Totally. I I mean I am right there with you. It's a lot of burden to carry on your back. And eventually, if you carry too many, you can't go forward. I think we actually, in a weird way, I know we've been talking about like the negatives and the positives of filtering, and kind of having this massive filter on on who we see and how we see it because of somebody else. We actually have to do that for ourselves, not necessarily to cut out things that that are negative, but kind of like seriously filter through. What we what we have the capability to care about. If your grandma's dying and you care about Joe Schmo that died in in Israel, and so you're not able to really tend to your grandma, then there's a problem there because you're not able to be present. And that was that was not anyone's fault, but your own to to actually like take that in. You know, you actually have to have an open door for things to come in. If you're my husband and I realized during this pandemic was like. We were watching the news every day, and we were both having nightmares. And this was a big, big problem. And one of my friends in LA actually sent me an article, and he's like, "Everyone is having the same problem. Everyone was having these nightmares for the first month. Everyone was just like, 'Whoa, I'm having the weirdest dreams, or I'm having full-on nightmares.' And I realized, like, maybe there's some." Correlation between what I listened to before I go to bed and what my dreams were. Even this morning, my my husband had another epiphany. He was like, you know, we watched a history movie last night about World War. Um, no, sorry, the Revolutionary War, and he had fighting dreams last night. Hello, we watched a war movie last night, and then had fighting dreams. One plus one equals two. It's like we we know that that's why you were having those dreams, and I think we we're all watching the news so much, all not knowing who to trust, and hearing all these horrible stories. And when you start actually just going like, you know, I'm just not going to watch the news because it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make you a bad person. That actually helps you become a better person because you're not going to be like exhausted when you wake up. From nightmares, but also because you're choosing what you want to put in your mind, and you're the creator of your own happiness. Nowadays, we're bombarded with everyone's problems, so it's just really hard to be caring and not be bogged down by it. Yeah, you want to care, but sometimes it's like I'm caring about a hundred pounds of something else. 
And this is going to be the straw that, that breaks my back. doesn't even have anything to do with my life. And it doesn't, it doesn't make you a selfish person mm-hmm. to care about yourself. And I think uh, my mom, actually, my mom and dad have a great relationship. And she actually told us something when we were kids that stuck with me forever. Like we were trying to gang up on my dad because he said we couldn't do something. And so we went to my mom and she said, you know what? I agree with whatever your dad said. And we're like, no, mom, but listen to our point. It's way better than dad's. And we are trying to break the two apart. And she said, your dad and I are a team and we we don't break away from that team. And no matter how much we love you, we love each other more and we decide what's the best for us. And then whatever you know, we decide, you have to accept. And as kids, we were like, we totally did not understand that. But they were always doing what was the best for them in their relationship because they knew we were going to come and go. We were going to grow up and we were going to fly out of the nest. And they were still going to have to be together. And I think a lot of times, you know, we all put the the nagging kids ahead of ourselves and our own happiness and our own whatever your relationship or your your body. You say like, you know, I'm going to go on a diet, and then you're invited to a pizza party, and you feel obligated to eat the pizza because you know they ordered it. But you don't have to eat the pizza. You can go to the pizza party, and it's your choice. And I think a lot of times we all put ourselves in these positions where we're not doing the best thing for ourselves. If we all took care of ourselves, how how cool would the world be? You know, if we didn't need someone to take care of us all the time? If it wasn't the government filtering our things, what if we were our own filter? What if we could actually own and take ownership over what we consume and what we care about? And and when we care about it, care deeply and be 100% where we are when, when we're caring about it and actually be able to make a difference rather than just watch it on the news and be like, wow, I feel so bad or I feel really scared. You know, actually being able to do something in your community when somebody's crying at your doorstep or something for food, give them some food instead of the whole trying to feed the entire planet. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful. I can only do what I'm responsible for myself. You know, I can't go 100 miles per hour when I can only go 50. I'm just going to burn out and crash yeah, and no, you but know, it, it die. Is true. But yeah, I think it is important. I, f- I feel like this is kind of a free card, but I mean, it is what it is, is like, as long as you address the privilege in your situation and you address that, yes, I'm in a good situation and I have the ability to care about these things and be healthy and not be affected by these situations. As long as you address the privilege and, you know, move forward and use your platform to be productive. Like once I got into like a rabbit hole on this whole TikTok thing, I spent like hours just researching China and their influence. And people don't realize the influence China is having in global unity packs. What's the what's the thing where they wear like the blue Robin NATO, like the influence, the influence China has over you know, places like NATO, people don't realize that because they're focused somewhere else. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like some people are going to focus in this area. Some people are going to focus in that area. And whatever you decide to focus on, whatever you feel like you can be productive and share a message of love and hope and togetherness, that's okay with me. Totally. I mean, honestly, I think I I remember a friend that that I felt like I cared for more than she cared cared about herself. You know, she had a just a series of relationships where I was like, this is like you've purposefully bought a one-way ticket on Titanic. You know, there's like no lifeboats. <laughs> You're doing this without anyone else. And I felt like I always had to save her. And at some point I was like, wait, I can't, I'm going to be on the Titanic too. And like, we're both going to, I'm not even going to be able to help her if I can't help myself. It's the same old adage where, you know, you're on an airplane. They tell you if you, you know, in case of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on first before you help someone else. You can't Mm -hmm. help everyone on the plane unless you have put your oxygen mask on, including your kids. And I think that's what my parents were always like kind of alluding to is like, 
we put our oxygen mask on so we can take care of you kids. And it's not because we don't love you. We love you, but we have to take care of ourselves. And because you're going to, you know, be able to take care of yourself by seeing that action, you know, people learn with actions. And I think too often we sit at home listening to all the problems of the world. And this is the first time, you know, in history that we've been so connected and yet so disconnected at the same time. I mean, we're watching TV, we're so connected with everybody, but we're not actually there and we're not actually connecting with the real world. No, I think that's very important because like, it's always my favorite thing to say is like, for an hour long news, you know, report, 59 minutes of it is just like the worst crap imaginable murder, rape, break in. And then at the one minute mark at the end, they're like, look at this cute puppy and forget everything we just told you. Until we change, they don't have to change their ways. So it's like attention grabbing, you know, negativity. It does grab people's attention because there's a, a fear that they instill in us. But until we change and we, we don't want to hear that anymore. I mean, I've been on the news quite a few times when I watch the news back. Like, that's not what happened at all. There's been times where I performed at a hospital and it was like Christmas time and we we went to go see a bunch of the sick uh, children who had cancer and were terminally ill. And so we did a little performance. We brought the Nutcracker to them, San Francisco Ballet. When we went there, there was only one kid and it was amazing. Actually, we were so happy because we've gone in the past and there's like 30 kids that are sick and it's devastating. You know, it's just sad. But you go and you dance and you perform. There was only one kid. So the news media, the all the news cameras and, and lights and everything come. There's only one kid. So what they did, what they they had all the siblings of other people's families come and sit in a circle. <laughs> and they made it look like 30 uh -huh, kids yep. had cancer, whereas only one of them actually did. And it was like just that for them was a better story than just having one child have cancer in the holiday season, you know, and, and that was a big big eye opener for me. I was like, well, I was there, so I know. But, you know, if I the millions of people who are watching this who weren't there have no idea that they just faked all these kids to have cancer, you know. Well, yeah, that's one of those things like what we've been talking about, it's balancing the business and the morality of it. Like, you know, you're the only way you're going to be able to stay in business as a news platform is if people actually watch you and you're going to have to create these stories that people want to watch and sometimes people like violence, they like sex, they like really good stories like that. So, you're going to have your, you know, station with stories like that. It makes sense, you know, but it's, yeah, once again, that balance between the business and the morality of succeeding. Yeah. And I guess too, it's, and that's great. Last thing I'll say about this is like, when we really become, and I'm going to tie in the Empress thing, when we really become the ruler over our own life, we might start changing what we want to consume. And when we start changing the bigger industries will have to change with us. Be the ruler over your own life. Be the filter that that China's trying to be for their people, but be your own filter. Make up your own mind. You don't need somebody else to tell you what to think or who to be or what's beautiful, you know? Just be yourself. Well, Empress, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful discussion. Listeners, if you'd like to connect more with Empress and be more informed about upcoming releases, you can do so by heading to www.empress-music.com. Once again, that's www.empress-music.com where you can find more links to her work, including, as I mentioned, her music, socials, and the music video for Lovely I Am. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under Empress's episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And once again, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. 
Uh, Empress, you share in one of your interviews, you share advice for young dancers on dreaming big and believing in those dreams. But specifically, and you kind of touched upon it earlier, uh, what I found the most important from your response was, you know, the focus on surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are supportive and loving of your dreams. And, it, you know, it may seem like common sense, but I think people need to hear it over and over again. Why is it important to surround yourself with those types of people when you're chasing your dreams? Just being around people that can help lift you up will keep you moving forward in the right direction because you always want to be going forward. Don't worry about what's behind you. And if you're going forward with a great team of people who lead you to better people, who lead you, you know, it's just, it's a hopscotch. Life is is all about the journey. You know, if you're going along by yourself, it's not as a fun, nor is it going to be as successful. So surrounding yourself with successful people or like-minded people, you know, I love this quote, it's the don't share pearls with pigs. They don't appreciate it. But if you share pearls with, you know, me, I will love it. So, <laughs> so you know, surrounding yourself, I, I love being around empowered women who support each other. I find that they introduce me to another empowered woman. And when we fall in love with each other, and then we all kind of like, it sounds very kumbaya, but it actually is just the best business model ever. And you can look at any kind of male run company and you start realizing that they're all just, you know, my husband does business with guys that he likes. And he'll send business their way. It doesn't matter if they're the best at what they do sometimes. It's just people surround each other, surround themselves with people that they respect. That was a long answer of saying, yes, <laughs> surround yourself <laughs> with that. good people. Once again, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Empress where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to reach out to this show with a local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. And now you can find all of our content centralized on our website at www.watercoolertalkpod.com. From any of the links mentioned in an episode, past episodes, social media posts, and much, much more. As I alluded to the beginning, of the show empress i let my guests close out the show it makes my job so much more easier uh so the floor is yours cool thank you again for having me this has been really really fun and, and actually very enlightening same yes <laughs> good i'm glad <laughs> well i i just want to say thank you to all the listeners that um take the time to actually just learn and want to grow with us and i guess Remember that you are the ruler over your own life. Each one of us has to do a self-coronation and become the empress or emperor over their own life and creator of their own happiness. So go out there and create your own empire and and do good for yourself and you will be able to do good for the world. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you very much coming on the show. And yeah, until next time, listeners. Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. An episode, a guest, a time. Still enjoying myself. Once again, thank you to Empress for calling in on a remote interview to talk about those bizarre news stories. As always, make sure to support her and what she does by following the links in the description of this episode or by going to our website at www.watercoolertalkpod.com to find all that information in one perfect place. Also, make sure to support Empress's charity of choice for today's episode. She is the music. All it takes is $5, the price of a coffee. 
to help make a difference, or even just telling a friend coworker about a new cause around the water cooler at work. Once again, as I said, don't share your water cup. There's no reason to share a water cup, you don't need to do it. But anyways, to the corrections. In the first story discussing the correct pronunciation of Hadley's name, uh, I multiple times mispronounced his name, so Muhammad, I completely understand. And then Empress mentioned Prince has his own color of purple, and for those hoping to paint an accent wall with the color of your favorite artist, ask for love symbol number two. And finally, an update to the Call Me Daddy podcast for those who may be interested. Alex has since continued as a solo host of the show, while Sophia is off to new projects, potentially. Uh, continuing on the ideas we discussed in the show, you have to find the balance between the popularity of a product and the popularity of its creator. Because once that power dynamic shifts, specifically in the case of the Call Me Daddy podcast, you lose your power and the ability to change how the game is played. And then a quick couple corrections for the guest introduction portion of this episode. The full Bruce Lee quote is, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. And finally, uh, for those keeping score at home, Willie Nelson is 87 years old. In the second story in which we discuss professional musicians using Spotify's new tip function, I wanted to fix uh, what I said about people not being able to become famous from Bandcamp. They do. I just meant that it's becoming more common for people to become famous from platforms such as Spotify, TikTok, Instagram, etc. But as I say in the episode, as someone who has worked with clients from Bandcamp, there are a ton of very, 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 very talented creators on there. And then the Walmart yodeler, Mason Ramsey, is signed to Atlantic Big Mouth Records. About 40,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify every single day. Quincy Jones said he listened to 800 songs before choosing the nine to go on the Thriller album. Uh, as for Prince's vault of unreleased songs, I over-exaggerated just a bit. You know, I tend to do that. But it's said to hold hundreds of songs, 50 fully produced music videos, and handfuls of other unreleased content. And finally, 300 hours of video footage is uploaded to YouTube every minute. It's a lot of damn videos. And finally, for a third story discussing TikTok censorship, uh, many of you probably want updates on me on uh, me receiving my Selena Gomez album. Even though I ordered it April 13th, 2020, I had the receipt universal. I still have not received anything in the mail. Uh, so if anyone can get me in contact with Selena Gomez, that would be very much appreciated and we can figure out that solution. Also, if anyone from Black Mirror is listening to the episode and you want, uh, you want in on that idea of having glasses that only show what's beautiful to you, we're open to an offer. But to the final correction of the episode, I meant China has control over the UN, that is the Blue Robin uh, helmets that you see in some photos, and not NATO. If they had control over the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, we, might, we might be in a bit of trouble. All right, Water Coolians, that's another Corrections Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to Empress for calling in and talking about some of the strangest and most weird news stories the world has to offer. But as always, that's your corrections. That's your episode. So just leave. Get this out. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. <laughs>